This is Chris. Welcome to episode 248 of x uh, where it's a bittersweet day. It certainly is a bittersweet day. Today we say goodbye to one of our favorites, or at least one of my favorites of the line. Uh, we're going to say goodbye to Way of X. And uh, while the volume of Way of X is ending with this issue, uh, the story's not. We're going to be concluding this in a one-shot next month, the uh, Onslaught Revelation, but uh, we will we will get there. We will get there. Let's get into the book. Now, this is, of course, Way of X, number five of five, at an October 2021 cover date. The story's called The Fall, written by Cy Spurrier, with art by Bob Quinn. Colors, Hava, Hava Tartaglia, easy for me to say. Letters, VCs, Clayton Cowles, designs Tom Muller, head of X's Hickman. Edits, Andrews Ballesteros, Thomas, Brunstead, White, and Sapolsky. Wow. It's a lot of people editing. Um, cover price, four bucks. Went on sale August 18th of 2021. Now, we usually don't spend a whole lot of time talking about covers, especially since, um, well, covers really don't matter anymore, and uh, every single book seems to get at least a half dozen of them. So uh, it's hard to really focus in on a cover being exceptionally cool. But uh, this one is really, really cool. I like this one a whole lot. This one has Onslaught dragging Nightcrawler. It's like from a from above, we're looking down at them, and he's just pulling Nightcrawler by the ankle, and it's it's really cool as an image. To the point where I would suggest that if you were um, an X lapsed reader, if you were away from the X books for any matter of time, this one might actually get you to at least pick it up and uh, maybe burn steal it <laughs> at the very least. Uh, folks might not know uh, John Byrne. Back in the long ago suggested that if you flip through a comic at the rack, you were uh, stealing. So burn stealing has kind of become a silly thing that people say. But like I'm saying, this is a very cool cover. Um, it's one that uh, evokes some nostalgia for uh, folks who may, like I said, may be lapsed, may have been away from the X-Men for quite a while. You see Onslaught, and Onslaught is one of those, you know, holy crap characters where he doesn't show up all that often. So when he does, it's... It's a fairly big deal. Anyway, let's get into the issue. Now, we open with a big ol' resurrection scene, and this answers my question about last issue's Green Lagoon explosion. I guess Professor X actually did die in it, because he's popping out of a gold ball here. Which, I don't know, feels like it should have been a bigger deal. Though, in fairness, the stories in these books appear to be... I don't know, like they're being told at varying paces. Like, he might have died and returned before... Really, many people noticed, so maybe it didn't need to be uh, referenced anywhere else. But a Professor X death seems like something that should feel like a bigger deal. And you know, 
Oh, let's get a little let's get a little bit meta for a second here. It's been a while since we talked about the devaluing of life and death in the X books. That was something that we talked about a lot. And the fact that we haven't is probably a good thing to those of you listening who are tired of hearing me repeat myself, which I tend to do a lot. But it's also a bad thing that I mean, given the mundanity of mutant death, it's now extended to our even talking about it. It's become mundane. Death in these books has been rendered so mundane and meaningless that it's not even interesting to talk about. Oh, well. Uh, Anyway, he and the 63, or maybe 62 if he's included in the 63, other casualties of the Green Lagoon Annihilation, they are brought back, and they're greeted by Emma Frost, Jean Grey, and Exodus. Now, these three are all drawn as having their own Cerebro helmets, which I guess there are various cradles around the island. Still... It seems weird seeing so many of them at once. Like, I mean, if the Cerebro helmets are so useful that Xavier's got to wear it, like, all the time, then why don't the other powerful telepaths wear it? Like, you'd imagine this would really amp up their power overall, right? Oh, well, maybe not something we should be thinking about. Now, among the Resurrectees are, well, I think I would have uh, called them the Way of X cast back when I thought this series would last long enough to have a cast. Uh, In any event, it's Loa, Pixie, DJ, and Blink. Now, as they come to, it would appear as though their minds were imprinted by Onslaught with the idea for a great big party. I guess Onslaught knows how much Krakoans love to party. Now, they also know what this party should be called, and the party ought to be called the Crucible. Very interesting. Now, as Xavier reaffixes his Cerebro helmet, he asks Emma who done killed all these people. And, well, next thing we know, Xavier's on Mars meeting up with Legion and the Zorns. Now, they are atop the summit of Olympus Mons, where uh, Legion is attempting to create a temple where mutants can escape Onslaught's influence. Now, Legion is orally silent throughout this entire issue, but is in near-constant telepathic communication with Nightcrawler. So... Xavier's here, and for some reason he's wearing a spacesuit. I'm not sure if this is a mistake, or is the new atmosphere still a little dicey at the tippity-top of Olympus Mons? If you remember, uh, Krakoa, of course, terraformed the entire planet, and we did spend a couple of issues watching this happen, step by step. Okay, so Xavier's here. He's attempting to get through to David, and it's, as you might imagine, a pretty futile endeavor. As mentioned, Legion is in contact with Nightcrawler. And he tells Kurt that Onslaught is stronger, but he has a weak spot, and, uh, well, as soon as they deduce what that weak spot might be, they can try and take him down. We shift scenes over to Nightcrawler, who... Well, he's kind of got his hands full at the moment. If you recall, last issue ended with Kurt bringing Fabian Cortez to planet Araco in order to have a heart-to-heart chat with Lost. Now, Lost, our new stretchy and pukey pal, has made it seem as though Fabes was responsible for the death of her parents. Nightcrawler figured getting them together might help them push through their differences in a productive way, and uh, it's not going well. You see, Lost and Cortez don't see a downside to just killing one another, and so they proceed to try and do just that. Nightcrawler attempts to intervene, you know, to talk some sense into both of them. Then Cortez says the thing we've all been saying since Jump Street... Dude, dying doesn't matter. But Kurt says it has to matter. You know, it has to friggin' matter. Otherwise, living doesn't matter either. This takes us to our double-page spread of Roll Call and Cred. Our characters today will include Nightcrawler, Legion, Lost, Fabian Cortez, Professor X, and... 
Emma Frost? Huh? I, I, I don't think we're going to see her again for the entire issue. She was in, like, two panels. Why not just put the Zorns in the roll call? Well, whatever. <laughs> now, if you've been following Way of X, you'll know that this series has been attempting to tackle the three Krakoan laws. And in this, the final issue, we're going to be taking at the law, Respect This Sacred Land. From here, we get an info page, and it's uh, no longer an excerpt from the Book of Redacted. And, uh, hmm, well, I guess I was incorrect in guessing that this would ultimately wind up being the Book of Legion. It's actually an excerpt from the Book of the Spark. Now, in this page, Nightcrawler ponders exactly what it means to, quote, respect this sacred land. As in, what even is a land? Also, what exactly is respect? Now, it would appear that this is the law that Nightcrawler is the most comfortable with, as it's nebulous enough to take into account the flexibility of the human heart. And, uh, yeah, I guess that, uh, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, this whole series we've been asking questions like, you know, what is a society, you know, and, uh, we can even take that a step further, I guess, or a step more micro, and, like, we could talk about the, the concept of a home. You know, is a home a place? Is a home a state of mind? Is a, is a home just your surroundings inside and out? It's, it's one of those things that could be taken many different ways, and uh, I guess depending on where you are in Maslow's hierarchy might mean something completely different from one person to the next. So anyway, back to comics, and we're back with Xavier and Son. Charles is doing his best to attempt to appeal to Legion that he should remain on Mars, or at the very least, just not come back to Earth, as to do so would disappoint him greatly. So, wow, Chuck, that's some, that's some grade-A father in there, isn't it? Uh, Xavier brings up the Respect This Sacred Land law as, uh, as one that Legion has broken, which I suppose is something we can take into account. Doesn't much matter, though, as David ain't hearing a word of this. He is still in contact with Nightcrawler, however. David tells Nightcrawler that his idea from the start of this series, which, you know, was to focus on the laws of Krakoa, was wrong. He seems to be comparing this tack on experimenting with people. You know, using people as things and then being surprised when they wind up broken. He calls back to Loa and Mercury's attempted coitus a few issues back, wherein he facilitated their merging of mind, body, and soul, which also allowed to them both to see the ugliness hidden within one another just so he could try and drag out Onslaught. Now, he compares this to the way Xavier does things. Xavier is always on task to the point where he doesn't even think about how his actions would affect actual people. So long as he gets what he wants, everything's fair game. Nightcrawler's uh, kind of hurt enough at this point, and so he grabs Cortez and Lost and then he bamps them 10 kilometers above Mars. None of them seem to need spacesuits either, by the way. Hmm. Anyway, the plan here is to face the three of them with certain death. Now, in order to survive this fall, they're going to have to make peace, because you see, Lost's gravity powers could save them all by slowing their fall. But Fabian Cortez has used his powers to shut those powers down, so, uh... It looks like a peaceable solution will be the only way to survive this. But of the three, at present anyway, uh, it's only Nightcrawler who seems to have a, an appreciation and respect for life and death here. Now, this leads to Nightcrawler's take on the law to respect this sacred land. You see, he deduces that the land isn't Krakoa. It's the people, the society who make up the land, that make it sacred. And so, if they're just going to be throwing their lives away... They are, in fact, breaking the law. 
Kurt promises that should Cortez die here, he'll see to it that he's put at the very end of the queue. And he reminds us that there are millions of mutants waiting for resurrection, so, uh, yeah, Fabes will be gone for a while. Well, at this point, it starts to get through. Cortez starts to get it, and actually seems sincere when he begins to apologize to Lost. But then, Onslaught intervenes with a single word. No. <laughs> and uh, Cortez then lunges at Lost, grabs her, and then amps up her powers so he and Nightcrawler's fall is slowed. And so we skip the next scene just to show them uh, landing safely after a bamf, but uh, we will go back and cover that scene as well. But in the process of doing this, it would appear as though Fabian just literally burnt Lost out. She is quite the crispy critter at this point, just smoldering because the power was amped up that much. But we're not done here. We have, to, we have to go back a few pages here and take a look at the brand new threat that we're going to address. Now you see Phobos, one of the moons of Mars, is now uh, well, plummeting and threatens to crash right into the new planet Araco, which would kill everybody on it. Next, we have an info page, and it's Abigail Brand of Sword doing a write-up of the Phobos incident. Well, it's written by somebody with a margin notes from a very sassy Abigail Brand. I mean, is there any other sort of Abigail Brand? And in this, we learn that, yes, the moon is falling, and yes, everybody's going to die, and also that Brand will be relocating that other sword command center, the Keep, away from the pending destruction. We jump back to comics, and Abigail Brand is now addressing the people of both Arako and Krakoa. She announces that the moon will make impact in ten minutes, and so uh, basically get your stuff and get off the planet PDQ. Xavier grabs David, and with tears in his eyes, he apologizes. Huh, I wonder what that's all about. Well, we don't have to wonder long, as when Xavier touched him, well, David touched him back, in his mind. He finds out that once Phobos destroys all remaining life on planet Araco, that, uh, well, Xavier will oppose David's next resurrection, so that'll be it for him. But also, Legion's made a discovery here. You see, Onslaught is getting in during the resurrection process. You see, he's empowered by the bits of lost life. Now, this is a concept that we've discussed off and on throughout the process here, and um, those bits of lost life are the time and experiences between one's last Cerebro backup and their death and resurrection. You know, that stuff that's gone forever. Now, Nightcrawler immediately thinks back to Pixie's Cheese Toasties quandary. If you remember, that was her favorite food at the time of her death, but at the time of her last Cerebro backup, that wasn't her favorite food. So that's something that's missing forever, and Onslaught is kind of exploiting those little bits and pieces. And uh, this certainly fits with the Patchwork Man vibe of this post-Hoxpox Onslaught, doesn't it? So we have Onslaught here. He fills the gap between the final backup and the death with a piece of himself. This is what's making him so powerful. And I mean, there's certainly no shortage of death in these books, right? Uh, you'd figure he'd almost be like a triple omega level threat with just Quentin Quire alone at this point. Back to Cortez and Kurt as the former begs the latter to bamf them to the nearest Krakoan gate. Kurt, however, has another idea. Now he looks to the falling moon and then asks Fabian to amp him up to the nth degree. You see, he's planning on bamfing the moon back into position. Cortez says that's insane, and he's not wrong. But he also seems to be coming around to Kurt's point of view. 
Now, after some soul-searching, he mutters, Respect this sacred land, and then amps the living hell out of our fuzzy elf. Kurt then flashes back to several key moments from this series. First, when he shot Legion's brain. Then, when Pixie calmed Lost down and stopped her from killing Cortez. We see Dr. Nemesis making time with Dazzler at the Green Lagoon. Legion begin- beginning his temple creation. And finally, when Nightcrawler bamfed he, Lost, and Cortez into the sky, which we did just see a few pages ago. Kurt then bamfs Cortez to the nearest gateway, imploring him to remember what he told him. Well, what did he tell him? Well, Nightcrawler knows this is a suicide mission. In bamfing Phobos, he will most likely burn himself out and die. What's more, he knows he's going to forget these final acts, and also the revelations about Onslaught. So it's going to be up to Cortez to remind him. Cortez is the messenger. Now he only needs to say two words to to the resurrected Kurt, and those two words are, The Spark. And then everything will come flooding back. Cortez and Xavier watch as Nightcrawler does the thing, burning himself out, but saving the planet Araco from its rogue moon. Next thing we know, Kurt's popping out of his gold ball, welcome back to the land of the living by Xavier. Kurt, as we expected, doesn't remember anything, and is rather shocked to learn that his death was the result of a, well, a sort of kind of suicide. Lost, who has also been resurrected, uh, I'm not sure why she got bumped up to the front of the queue, but whatever. Anyway, she tells Kurt that he died so millions could live. Nightcrawler remembers that Fabian Cortez had something to do with his final days and asks to see him. And, well, we head over to the Healing Gardens and see that old Fabes is currently comatose, and so he won't be able to pass on the trigger word to our hero. I don't know why the Morlock healer can't, you know, heal him, or why Xavier can't read the dude's mind. Uh, Maybe Onslaught's doing something to interfere with all this. I also don't know why Fabian's comatose. I mean, he was alive and well at the Krakoan Gate a little while ago. I don't know. Anyway, Xavier blames Cortez for the day's drama, and then suggests that Sometimes there's people you just can't help. And that is where we leave it. This story will continue and conclude in the Onslaught Revelation. Next episode, however, is X-Corp. But how about we talk about this uh, final issue and penultimate chapter of the uh, Way of X story. You know, for a second there, I really thought we were about to wipe out all the Iraqis on Mars. Um, I really thought that that was going to happen here as a way to get out of, like, how do you how do you get out of that, right? Um, and how would that have been for a slap in the face, right? After all the uh, work that went into the terraformation of Mars and all the hype around it and how planet-sized X-Men was going to be the biggest thing since giant size number one, just to wipe out this entire civilization here would have been... Um, Pretty insane, would it not? Um, I was thinking for a minute, it's like, well, maybe this issue was written right after Hickman said he was leaving, and they were just like, well, screw it, we're gonna, we're gonna Morrison this run, <laughs> and we're just gonna undo as much of it as we can as quickly as we can. Of course, that wasn't the case. But I tell you, there was some real intrigue and uncertainty there for a bit, uh, especially with the theme of the issue being respect this sacred land, if we're, like, literally destroying land, and, uh, also, with my theories about Legion martyring himself, I mean, if he dies on Arako, especially considering he's only there in order to create this temple to keep folks safe from Onslaught, well, he'd kind of be martyring himself, right? That, of course, didn't happen, so uh, it's, you know, all kind of a moot point, but uh, suffice it to say, it did keep me guessing, and that's, that's always a good thing. 
Speaking of good things, um, we get we get an onslaught revelation here, and uh, it begs some questions, doesn't it? It makes us ask questions like, has uh, onslaught been affecting all of the resurrected mutants since the beginning? I mean, that certainly frames things a bit differently, doesn't it? Like, is he the reason why death doesn't appear to matter to our heroes? Like. With each death, he would only become more powerful, only getting his claws in deeper, leaving bits and pieces of himself in the lost, the interim, right? The interim between the final Cerebro backup and the death and resurrection. So with every death, well, he gets a, more of a stranglehold into uh, Krakoan society. Makes you ask questions like, um, is he why the people at the Crucible go nuts cheering for murder? Are all of the out-of-character moments we've seen since Hoxpox a result of Onslaughtian interference? I know we've, we've floated several theories as to why characters are acting the way they have, and, I mean, we've talked about Xavier doing something, we've talked about Magneto doing something, we've talked about Krakoa kind of going into business for itself and doing something to affect the behavior of his inhabitants, right? But maybe it was all Onslaught. Maybe it's been Onslaught from the very start. And if so, it seems kind of odd to have such a huge and post hoxpox shattering revelation given to us in this uh, quirky but wonderful little side series. And not, say, the main X-Men title, right? I mean, Way of X, no matter how much I love and adore it, it's not, it's not an A-list book. If we compare it to things like the flagship or, I mean, even something like Wolverine. I mean, that's kind of where this is a little bit of a disconnect for me. Because I'd have to guess, especially we do go through sales figures. Of course, we don't have the numbers back yet, but we do go through the rankings. And Way of X, outside of a very strong start, it fell pretty quickly, as they all tend to do with their second issue. So it's not being as widely read as X-Men, as X-Force, as Wolverine... Which, and I mean, this is totally unfair of me to say, it makes me feel like if they drop such a huge reveal here, it almost makes it feel like it doesn't matter quite as much as it should. And like I said, this has been this has been my favorite book in the line ever since it launched. So I'm not disparaging the book so much as I am maybe Marvel's promotional skills. <laughs> I don't know. But it just makes it feel kind of like an afterthought. Which... I suppose having the conclusion to the story be its own standalone one-shot makes a whole lot more sense because I would assume that X-Men colon the Onslaught Revelation number one will probably be a little bit more widely read than Way of X number six. Though, you know, as always, I could be wrong. Let's talk a bit about another revelation we got here, uh, the Book of the Spark. Now, since we actually saw the Book of the Spark in print, I guess we can assume that Nightcrawler will eventually get the trigger phrase and will remember everything that uh, that he had forgotten from his nebulous interim between the last Cerebro backup and his death. Or maybe this is a hint that Onslaught will be defeated, and in so doing, maybe the idea of the Resurrection Protocols will change a little bit. Like, maybe there won't be a nebulous interim with lost memories. Maybe it'll become a more of a, uh, I don't know, complete resurrection, a whole resurrection where there's nothing missing. Like, maybe we'll get a, and I mean, this is a stretch here, but perhaps we'll get a revelation that the uh, the Cerebro helmet is kind of like Hal Jordan's Green Lantern ring. 
Circa Action Comics Weekly when they were trying to make it seem as though Hal didn't need the ring. Like he relied on the ring because it's what he always knew and he knew that the ring empowered him, but at the end of the day he didn't really need it. It wasn't something he was able to wrap his mind around, but it was kind of there. It was kind of uh, the impression that we were left with. I wonder if that's a similar thing with the Cerebro Helmet and the Cerebro Cradle. Maybe Professor X and the powerful telepaths on Krakoa don't need the Cerebro Helmet. Maybe it's something more than that. Maybe it's something inside that would allow them to do the thing that they do when they pop out of the gold balls. And again, yeah, that is that is a stretch, of course, but we are heading into post-Inferno, post-Hickman, the, the new evolution for this era of X-Men comics. Uh, I figure everything's on the table at this point, so I guess we'll uh, have to wait and see. Finally, um, we didn't see Legion at the end of this issue. I don't know if he's still on Mars making his temple. I, I would assume we're going to see him again in the Onslaught Revelation, but... Uh, I don't know, for some reason, his uh, his uh, lack of appearance at the end of this issue feels quite danglery. <laughs> it feels like something that was uh, purposely and thoughtfully omitted. But uh, another one of those things, we're just going to have to wait and see. But overall, uh, I mean, it was Way of X. I loved it. Uh, the art here was, uh, fan- I was going to say fantastic and phenomenal. Is that a word we can, is that a portmanteau that we can do? Phenomenal? I don't know, it was very, very good art. I liked it a lot. And uh, I tell you, I'm certainly going to miss it. I am definitely going to miss it. This was a highlight of my X-Lapse month um, for the past several months. I always looked forward to this one, and I always felt a little bit of loss when we finished an issue because uh, I just wanted to hop into the next one. Hopefully the Onslaught Revelation is not the last we see of uh, Simon Spurrier and Bob Quinn in the X-Family of books. I really hope there's more for them here. And I hope coming out the other end of Inferno that maybe we get uh, we get a book just like this one, which might explore the evolved themes of uh, Krakoa and Krakoan life and society and stuff like that. This has just been an absolute treat, and uh, like I said, I'm going to miss it. We will, of course, be hitting on the uh, Onslaught Revelation in the next slew of episodes, hopefully early-ish October if, uh, if DCBS uh, gets me my package quickly this time out, but... I sit here with crossed fingers and, uh, well, low expectations on the realities of, of uh, you know, cross-country mail. Anyway, with all that said, let's hop into the mailbag here. We're going to start with Evan talking about Hellions number 12. This is a Hellfire Gala issue. Evan says, It seems like this phrase is uttered as rarely as details about that time Betsy Braddock occupied Quinan's body, but I'm just going to go out on a limb and say it. Man, Hellions is good. This is easily my favorite gala issue so far. Admittedly, that's only out of four. I did read Planet Size X-Men in real time. It was good, but a victim of Marvel's hype. And yeah, I think um, Hellions, along with Way of X, were my were my MVPs of the Hellfire Gala. And yeah, Planet Sized was certainly a victim of Marvel's hype. I made a joke about it a little while ago. You know, it's the next big thing to the to uh, Giant Size X-Men number one. To which we would say, no. <laughs> Maybe we'll, we'll pull an onslaught and just say, no. Maybe pump the brakes on that one a little bit. Uh, Evan continues, Callbacks and advancements of so many ongoing plot threads while setting it firmly in the gala made this a great crossover issue. I was a little surprised that Wild Child was so focused on Aurora and didn't seem to mind Greycrow and Quanon getting cozier. But like you, I appreciated the Alpha Flight nod. And yeah, I mean, that's that's... It seems weird to call something like that a deep cut, but uh, given how... 
weird we are about continuity these days and that we really don't address much of it, it's a heck of a callback for sure. Evan continues, As much as I've questioned some villains getting clean slates on Krakoa, it's Grey Crow that seems to be the best example of it actually working. He appears to legitimately be trying to be a better man, not faking it to further some agenda. As a guy I always took as the leader, well, second in command of the Marauders, he's about as unforgivable as they come. Yet, here he is, hardly in a prestigious or cushy spot, doing more to make the world or his corner of it a little better than most of the folks on the Quiet Council. And totally, that has been one of our uh, big takeaways from Hellions, hasn't it? Uh, the fact that a character like Grey Crow, who, as I mentioned, when I first saw him being on this team... It gave me those Alvaro vibes. It's like, oh, it's a random dude who, coincidentally, was usually thrown into those Alvaro teams, literally, um, who I didn't think they'd have an endgame for. Just a guy to fill the roster spot. But, boy, if he ain't the heart and soul of this team, I don't know who is. Zeb Wells has done a phenomenal job humanizing and make, making a murderous character sympathetic, showing him, like you said here, he is trying to make his corner of the world a little bit better than it was before, and he actually seems to care about his teammates, which just doesn't seem like something that should work, but it does. We saw him conflicted when, when they went over to the, uh, the House for Foundlings, where he saw the Legacy Marauders. We see how he's interacting with uh, the Orphan Maker right now. It's, and of course, Quinan as well. It's, it's really good. It's really, really good stuff. Back to Evan, who wraps up with, speaking of the Quiet Council, I forgot to mention this with the X-Force issue, but how bad a shape is the mutant nation in when Emma Frost is its conscience? And yeah, that sure is saying something, isn't it? Uh, we did see Emma take a sage and beast task for uh, the for the Terra Verde stuff here, and she was presented as, like Evan said, the conscience, you know? It was... It wasn't exactly a like an altruistic sort of vibe we got from her, where she was kind of she was more worried about the about the story getting out from a PR standpoint rather than a hey we did something horrible and inhuman. It was more of a if we get caught with our pants down here, that ain't gonna look good for us. But still, seeing her on that side of the argument is weird. But thank you so much for writing in and sharing your thoughts, Evan. I've really enjoyed going through the uh, Hellfire Gala with you here. I'm, I'm enjoying your take as we uh, work our way through and as they start appearing on Marvel Unlimited. So thanks again. Next, we've got Peter, who's asking a question about The Order. If you remember an episode or two ago, we talked about the initiative team, The Order, and I mentioned that I didn't really read it because I'm not a fan of Matt Fraction. And uh, Peter says, Speaking of gaining powers, how did The Order work? Did Tony Stark screw with their genetics to give them powers? And, well, I did a little bit of research, and I think that's sort of kind of the case. Um, the Order, they were based on the powers of 11 Greek gods, but the powers were transferable. Now, it was run by Tony Stark, Pepper Potts, and our old X-Men PR representative, Kate Kildare. And it actually sounds like kind of a neat premise, because the characters all had to follow a sort of, like, morality clause or get booted from the team. I think the first issue ended with a couple of the characters going out to have drinks to celebrate, but drinking alcohol was against the morality clause, so they were booted from the team and replaced. So it's an interesting premise. I, I'm still not a Matt Fraction guy, so I don't know that I will ever check it out, but it does seem very interesting. 
Also, they would only be contracted to the order for a year. After that, they would be depowered, returned to society, and replaced by a, a new fleet of orderites, I guess. So it's kind of like a less fatal version of Strike Force Moratori, I guess. Um, which, again, that sounds kind of interesting. I don't know if they're still around now. I'd have to assume that they're not. I think that was a very of its time sort of thing, the you know, the whole initiative deal and uh I think that whole uh era of Marvel kinda ended with, with Dark Reign, which went into the heroic age. I think that was kind of the bookend to this era, so I'd be surprised if they were seen since then. But still, this uh, little bit of research was a fun rabbit hole to uh, dig into. So thank you so much, Peter, for facilitating that search. And hopefully that answered uh, all of our questions about exactly what the order was, uh, at least uh, at the inch-deep, mile-wide sort of level. But thanks again for writing in, Peter. It really does mean a lot. Uh, before we get out of here, let's do some shout-outs here. Just calling out the folks who clicked the little interactivity uh, little buttons on social media when I shared the show helping to uh, promote and uh, signal boost this little program. On Twitter, I'd like to thank The Long Box of Darkness, Jacob Jones, Walt Neeland, The Long Box Crusade, The Scary Stuff Podcast, Jeremiah, Billy D, Dave Schultz, and Joe Crawford. Over on Facebook, I want to thank Andrew Franklin, Pat Sampson, Jesse D. Young, Chris Bailey, Walt Neeland, Billy D, and John Paul Thibodeau-Scott. Thank you all muchly for the uh, signal boost and the help to uh, spread the word about this show. It really does mean a lot to me. Now, if anyone out there would like to get a hold of me for whatever reason, you can find me several different ways. On Twitter, you can find me at Ace Comics. You can fire off an email to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com, or you can call into the X-Lapsed voicemail hotline at 623-396-JERK. You can find blog posts and show notes at chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. You can find us on Facebook at 90sxmen. And finally, for the complete audio archives, you can head to chrisandreggie.podbean.com, and that's available anywhere you find your favorite and least favorite podcasts. But with all that said, I'd like to thank you all so much for allowing me to be a little part of your day today. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya! Searching for